Thank you all so much for joining me. Before I begin, I need to pray. Father God, we just come all before your throne of grace. We thank you so much for being full-time in our lives. We ask that you just please let us retain your word today. God, let me minister grace to the hearer. Allow your word to just marinate in our hearts, God. We ask that you just allow us to grow in a better understanding of you and a better relationship with you, Father God. But let us just be aware of what's going on around the world so that we can have discernment in the process as we grow in our understanding of what is going on spiritually in this world father god just allow us to just fully marinate in your word and understand it let us perceive its meaning let us be able to follow you in righteousness so god i just thank you right now for filling me up with your holy spirit i ask that you lead me in this discussion and allow me to discuss everything that i need to today um please forget anything most importantly please allow your will to be done not ours but yours in the name of jesus christ it is sealed in your time and blood amen thank you all so much for joining me today on laws life and health let's talk about it so today i'm continuing on in in the discussion of women's health so yesterday i talked about margaret sanger and the negro negro project and how um Margaret is the founder of Planned Parenthood across the country, and she was a racist that really wanted to exterminate Blacks, Jews, Hebrews, and Latin um, individuals through eugenics. So the way that we understand eugenics is, is um, it is a pseudoscientific inaccurate theory. Um, basically, that humans can be improved through the selective breeding of populations. It is the misappropriation of methods such such as uh, involuntary sterilization, which is also called racial cleansing, segregation, and so it it basically rids society of individuals that are deemed to be unfit, and um, basically. That is what eugenics does. They attempt to try to exterminate individuals by sterilizing them. And so this eugenics has been widespread and is really known for its involuntary sterilization. But now that we really think about what's going on around the world, it's like this isn't involuntary sterilization anymore. It's really voluntary sterilization. And so we see that this is happening really within the transgender LGBTQ community of people. And so before I get into an in-depth discussion about this, I just wanted to make it known that this is an explicit conversation. This is an explicit discussion. This is a sensitive topic. Um, so this is for mature audiences. So if you're not able to talk about the sensitive nature of eugenics and what I've described it to be, um, please do leave the podcast and, um, uh, you know, just try to, you know, maybe go into another room or go into a different podcast because right now this discussion is going to be explicit. So I, I want to let everyone be aware of that and just know that it is a sensitive, um, it's a sensitive discussion. So I wanted to sort of transition into talking about the Latinx uh, culture. 
basically um, eugenics have been forced upon them. If we take a, a look at the history of eugenics within the Latinx community, um, we'll be able to see some of the different challenges that they're also enduring. So um, I have an article from PBS, right? PBS.org. Um, it is Latinos and the Consequences of Eugenics. It's from the collection of the U.S. Latino Experience. This is an article that was published by Natalie Lyra. Um, it's an article that is about the eugenics crusade. All right. And so looking at this here, um, it talks about the Sonoma State Home for, for the feeble-minded hospital where sterilization had took place. Historically, they they have a postcard here um, that basically talks about the personal collection of Alex Willerstein. So um, back in the early 1930s, um, there was a person by the name of Ruiz, Concepcion Ruiz is his name, a 16-year-old uh, Mexican-American who was arrested and tried in California juvenile court on charges of sexual delinquency. So basically what happened was there were legal officers brought the young woman before Superior Court Judge Robert H. Scott because she had ran away with a boyfriend and, and was allegedly subnormal. So in the eyes of California probation officers, judges and medical superintendents had basically said that um, Ruiz, so Ruiz is a 16-year-old Mexican female. Um, so her interest in boys and her decision to run away and her her lower than average IQ score were enough evidence to declare her mentally deficient. So they basically were labeling her with an intellectual disability because of her low IQ score. And so this diagnosis um, was, um, was um, allocated to her or forced upon her by Judge Scott who had committed her to the Sonoma State Home for the Feeble-Minded to be sterilized. So on June 15th of the same year, after several months of her being in confinement, um, Ruiz was taken to the surgery ward where she was sterilized despite vocal protests and she was actively refusing treatment. And so basically what happened was by November, Ruiz had gained her freedom. And with the help of her sister, Sylvia, she filed a lawsuit against Judge Scott. So Sonoma's medical superintendent and the probation officers who had conspired to have her committed and rendered her infertile, um, she filed a lawsuit against them. And basically she highlighted the different ways that the legal and institutionalized authorities had violated her constitutional rights. So she was not informed of her right to obtain legal counsel. She was also required to testify against herself. And so she was forced to undergo an irreversible surgery without the benefit of due process. So her life would, um, her life was changed forever. So she had demanded $150,000 in damages. Um, so her lawsuit did not receive national attention like some um, cases that were heard with the Supreme Court. So basically, the Supreme Court had trial um, to sterilize Carrie Buck, 
was upheld by the constitutionality of Virginia's eugenic sterilization law. So that was in Buck v. Bell. And I talked about Buck v. Bell the other day um, when I was on the um, National Research, National Genome Research Institute um, on genome.gov. So you should be able to go there once if you look up on the blog and see where eugenics is located. Right next to that is a link to go to the genome, um, genome.gov, and it'll take you to all of these different situations that have happened and occurred with um, eugenics. And so in Buck v. Bell, 1927, that's when they upheld Carrie Buck, okay, constitutionality of because of the support of eugenics sterilization law of Virginia. So Ruiz's case, it, even though it was widely covered as a legal battle between California, um, her mother had um, tried to help her with her legal battle, who had also um, sterilized on the ground of feeble-mindedness and sexual uh, waywardness in 1936. So the outcome of Ruiz's lawsuit is un was unclear. There are no known photos of her and little is known about her life beyond the details printed in a handful of short newspaper articles from the 1930s about her case. So because Ruiz had resisted sterilization and fought for justice afterwards, her story continues to survive as an illustration of how race, gender, and disability converged in the time of eugenics. And so basically what this is saying is that about 20,000 people were sterilized in California between 19 between the 1920s and the 1950s. So between 1907 and 1937 there were 32 states that had passed eugenic sterilization laws. Now this is so important because California was the most prolific pro proponent of eugenic sterilization because they basically sterilized 20,000 people. Right. So under the state's law that was passed in 1909, individuals committed to any of these those 11 states that were institutionalized for being insane or feeble minded, basically like intellectually disabled, they could be sterilized at the sole discretion of that institution. Right. And so there were many young women who had deemed sexually uh, wayward like Ruiz um, and so she was kind of like a target for ster sterilization like those runaways you know um, so half of the people sterilized in California institutes institutions they were declared insane or they were disabled or they were accused of a crime and so we see that about one-third of the 60,000 operations were recorded nationally also consent did not need to be obtained for the medical superintendent to have permission basically to um, sterilize these individuals, which is why 20,000 people in California were sterilized. And so eugenics, their beliefs were so widespread during this time that the decision-making judges, the parole officers, the physicians, the superintendents, they were all part of the uh, reproduction of the unfit. So they did not want to play any part in creating a better future for them. Basically, these people are criminals, they're runaways, they are deemed unfit for a society, so they need to be sterilized, right? They don't need to have any children. And so um, by in 1916, there was a book out, it's called A Measurement of Intelligence by uh, 
so like a eugenicist across the nation um which had declared that intelligence was not only hereditary but directly correlated to morality crime and poverty and so what this is saying is that if if a person what did not display any intelligence of morality and uh crime prevention and if they were in poverty though then they had uh problems with their social skills and social um they were socially excluded from society so they are deemed unfit and so they will be recommended by the institutionals institutionalized um mental facilities for sterilization and so they didn't need they did not need any consent by any individuals in order to sterilize people because of their intellectual disability right so what this means is that many of these studies have showed that low intelligence was very common among spanish spanish people indians and mexican families of the southwest and also among negroes right so what they were saying was because of the dullness that basically um came about with these minorities that they wanted to sterilize them because of their low intelligence level because they were in poverty they they were doing crime and because they had low morality and so for those three things alone it allowed them to sterilize people okay and they sterilized thousands and thousands of people over twenty thousand people just in the state of california alone because they you know like for instance this girl here ruiz she ran away so now she's deemed unfit for society in a way to be able to reproduce so because of the sterilization law of california they can involuntary sterilize her they just needed the recommendation of the the superintendent so that is that was something that was really horrible so the belief that low intelligence or this feeble mindedness which is also called um intellectual disability basically have like an extension of immorality crime and poverty and so with these hereditary traits they concentrate on people of color or minorities specifically those that they can implement um i'm sorry implicate within the latin um population and also the african-american population and it's not limited to just these races it's also extended over to the indians as well as um the hebrews the jews and others um so some of the working class mexican origin women and men they were a part of the growing population in those states right so mexicans in california were legally considered white right and then this this is so interesting right because when we think about the united states census bureau um currently right now the census bureau has been under a lot of scrutiny and the reason why is because they have been reporting inaccurate inaccurate populations they have been utilizing the mexican or hispanic population and they have been applying them to the white population so hispanics are actually increasing the white population but according to statistics now it's it says that they undercounted the african-american indian and asian population so i know that that was kind of like a deterrence from what we were talking about but i just want to make sure that everyone know that this is this is an article that was really reflecting on in 1930s 
and how it's still prevalent today. So the United States Census Bureau are undercounting votes. I'm sorry, undercounting the population. This is just done back in 2021. And so the Mexican Hispanic population is now being applied to the um, white population. So they have actually increased 300% in size because of the Hispanic population, right? And so for me, I just think that the United States Census Bureau should be eradicated simply because we don't need them. Um, I know a lot of people are really focusing, they're placing emphasis on the IRS should be, you know, um, extinguished from society. We don't need the IRS. But really, if we really pay close attention to the United States Census Bureau, they are really, really impacting ph philanthropy and how funds are being received um, in certain districts and certain zones um, based upon their statistics. And so since they have been reporting inaccurate statistics, they should be held liable for that. Maybe um, the government should outsource these sort of um, statistics since they mean so much to you know, funding and funding allocation to different states is it's important because when we think of um, GIS, for instance, GIS is the geography, geographic information system. So the geographic information system is supposed, supposedly supposed to like help minority communities that are underserved or underprivileged. And so within these communities, you have all of these like low um, underserved individuals. And so the statistics come from the United States Census Bureau. So if the U.S. Census Bureau is basically using all of the Latin population to be applied to the Caucasian population, how is that going to help the minorities and the more Latino minorities, right? And so this is a major issue um, because it can interrupt the distribution of funds and how funds are being allocated simply by the GIS system, which is the geographic information system. And so the the Census Bureau play a key role in the way that philanthropy and the, the funds are being allocated to each district. So just say, for instance, and I know I'm kind of like deviating from the, the topic at hand, but this is actually indirectly correlated. So just hear me out for a moment, right? Think about this. So you live in a poverty-stricken neighborhood. You you're Latin. You're in the you're a Latin minority, and you know you try to go get some assistance for something, maybe to pay your light bill or get something where you need help with your rent. And so the funds aren't there because they're not considering you to live in a minority underserved community because now instead of you being considered a latin person you have now been considered a caucasian which is a part of the nordic race you don't need help right and so that interferes with the way funds are being allocated or distributed from your aldermans from the from the controller of your state so funds at the federal level goes down to the states and it's distributed to each state right and so the controller then issues it to the treasurer. The treasury department allocates the funds to each, each city within that state. So if your particular zip code or district or, you know, like area that you're residing in, if 
there are not enough minorities in that community. Certain funds are not going to be allocated to that community the way that they can be. So that's the problem. The problem is, is that the misappropriation. And so we need to really be looking at this as a society because there are a lot of Latin, um, Latin X populists that really need assistance because they are minorities. And so if you're deeming them to be a part of the Nordic race, then how are they going to be getting services that they need? Um, so we see here that Ruiz, she was a victim to sterilization. She was a Latin, um, a Latin American who was uh, basically um, targeted because she was a runaway. And so they considered her to have low intelligence and they forced her to get sterilized. So we see that they have an article, um, they actually have a newspaper clipping where the girl seeks $150,000 for sex surgery. Uh, well, it really wasn't nothing that they could do about it because the Sonoma State Home um, demanded that she get sterilized because she ran away with who she thought was probably the love of her life. And so she is really deemed unfit for society because of her criminal, criminal, uh, mind. And so that is what eugenics does. So here it talks about, um, how California were targeting the working class Mexican origin of men and women who were growing in population in those states. So Mexicans in California, they were uh, considered um, but they were economically and socially marginalized, um, but they were often cast out by uh, racially inferior foreigners. So other people coming from other places would get assistance before the Hispanic or Latinx community. Um, they use IQ scores and selective family history. So this is something that eugenicists will always do. They'll use these medical terms or scientific language to basically draw out the negative um, of individuals that have disabilities, uh, people that they feel are uh, have low morale, individuals that are criminals or they feel that are incompetent or unproductive citizens okay so if you're unproductive in society it could be perceived as a burden in society so they sort of cast out these latinos as more as because they're more prone to this type of hereditary defect and so they join these gender stereotypes of latinos with women as hypersexual and hyper fertile and so the men is violent and prone to criminality so their biology, their physiology, um, which basically is hereditary, they're saying that, look, they are criminals and the women are too hyper fertile. So they need to be sterilized. So this, the stereotypes became sort of scientific truths for them. Right. And um, this basically were like creating social exclusion within the Hispanic community. So during the late 19th century, um, Basically, some of the states had established and expanded large institutions to confine basically like the mentally, physically and socially unfit. Like I said, the people that are have low morale, they're criminals and the women are too fertile. They usually are suffering from some type of low IQ. And so these individuals were deemed unfit in society. So you have tens of thousands of people that were warehoused. They were warehoused in state institutions 
for uh, some periods ranging from days to even years. And so individuals, they were legally committed um, and they were deemed incompetent. And we're talking about the just the Latin community right now, okay? Um, specifically in the state of California. And so basically what they did was they made them susceptible to um, like a lots of different treatments and procedures, including sterilization. So they did some experimentation on them um, in the name of the Sterilization Act. You know, so that's if they want to justify something, then that's how they did it in the state of California during this time. Um, so you have Californians uh, across different racial backgrounds that were committed and sterilized in California. And a majority of them were considered white when in fact they were not white. They were Hispanic. All right. So um, because of the this growing bias against Mexicans and Mexican-Americans in the state, Latinos were disproportionately sterilized, right? And this is so sad because you have 20,000 people that were sterilized just in the state of California. Like, this should sound the alarm, everybody. Okay. And so now that I'm now that I'm looking at this, it's really making me think about how so many Hispanics were like in prison when they were on a deportation list. I actually have friends that were on a deportation list. And it was just so sad that they had to just like some of them like literally have to go and check in to be deported. You know, so it's like this is horrible. What were they doing now? Like since this happened in the 1920s, 1930s, like the only thing that I could think about is since they were warehoused, they were experimented on <coughs> and they were <coughs> forced involuntary sterilized. So these are all red flags to what is happening within the last 10 years in America. So we see here that um, they basically there were an there was an analysis of sterilization requests that was processed by eleven California state institutions between nineteen twenty and nineteen forty five, and so they show that Latin men were at twenty three percent greater risk of sterilization than non Latin men, and Latinas were at a 59% greater risk of sterilization than non-Latinas. So over 5,000 people were sterilized at Sonoma, where Ruiz was committed to because of her running, her, her activity as a runaway and her low IQ score. So according to the Sonoma sterilization record, Latin patients of both sexes represented about 20% of all the sterilization performed between 1937 and 1948. So the problem that I have with these statistics is that you've already considered these Hispanics white. You didn't even properly like label them as Hispanic because you wanted to conduct experimentation on them and you, and you know that they are minorities so it you know like it's it's bias it's hindsight bias and 
unethical all the way around the board. So we, you, they have the Zenith of California sterilization program in 1937, the 1910 and 19 census. Here we go talking about the census. This is, this is, it's all going to bore down to the census bureau. And this is the problem. Why do we continue to use the United States Census Bureau when they are undercounting the minority population? Okay, and they're applying the population to where they want the population to be. You cannot say a Hispanic, uh, which is an ethnic group, uh, Hispanic is an ethnicity, and you say, okay, we're going to call you white. So we're going to increase our population and and you know decrease your population it, it doesn't make any sense what it actually does if you want to limit the amount of resources being that is going to be given to the hispanic population and in fact we see that the issue with the hispanic population is that they were increasing in size they were hyper fertile and the men were prone to criminality which is why they were targeted. So going back to the Census Bureau, the I would say the inaccurate uh, reports of populations, okay? You have the, according to the 1910 and 1930 Census Bureau, the Mexican origin population in the state did not exceed 6.5%. It's, it's just very hard for me to believe that, okay? I apologize, you all, but I've been studying statistics for a very long time, and it's 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 too much inaccurate information being reported. You know, for instance, if you have someone who's multicultural, that means that they're they're mixed with multiple cultures, right? Um, for instance, my children, they're German and black, my oldest two children. And so when I think about this, my they can put their they can put Caucasian if they want to. It is really about their preference and what they identify with. But if you have Hispanic, why do you have to be white Hispanic? You know, why 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 are they doing this? They a Hispanic is an ethnicity, it's an ethnic group, right? So why increase one population and, and decrease the minority population when this population of people are really, really increasing in numbers? They're actually over exceeding every other race in, um, pop in populist size. So this is something that should be looked and examined more closely. So we have these disproportionate sterilization of Latinos under the California's eugenic sterilization program from 1920 so 1945. So even though that there is an overwhelming amount of legal um, implications here, they continue to perform eugenic sterilization on Hispanics. Um, and then they're calling them white. So they're not even labeling them correctly um, as if they, you know, not to draw alarm to them or not to draw attention, more attention to them. So these are not um, sterilizations that was widely discussed during this time. So that is something else to consider. So Ruiz and other Latinos who were institutionalized and sterilized because um, they lacked in uh, resources, they were 
this is like a bureau bureaucracy here so what that means is that they primarily tell you what eugenicists and institutional institutions um have the authority to do with latinos but they don't really tell you what the sterilization requests are for example they may mention details that justify sterilization like mentally deficient mexican girl sex delinquent had one illegitimate child so these are institutional records they they do offer a high like reductive narrative about that person so they the, and explaining why they should not be able to re reproduce in society but they give you little information about why these things are justified okay so she's a sex delinquent okay she has one Ill illegitimate child she's a, a mexican mentally or intellectually disabled person how does that justify sterilization for her so they basically have unjustifiable reasons why they want to do these things to individuals and then you could look here in the article they talk they have actually um like the medical hospital recommendation so that's all that they needed in order to sterilize somebody they needed a recommendation from the uh, the medical superintendent um for a cert them um in the institution right so they target them very closely and then they try to you know simply violate their civil rights and they forge the violation of their family's rights and you know so there's nothing really that they family can do about it because and also their social experiences and how they are social burdens to society and now they don't want to recycle their belief systems back in society anymore and so uh their uh beliefs anymore so they um you know sterilize them because they think that it's okay to sterilize them yeah so one second here so so, th so that's all wrong right so um that's about the his that's about the hispanic eugenics so eugenics is not just limited to one race like i said yesterday it's it's not it can be it can be targeted but currently right now when you look at the transgender population in the lgbtq community there is no respecter of a person there this is blatantly voluntary eugenics this is this is not involuntary anymore they have literally convinced people to voluntary get sterilized voluntarily this is get okay. verses 
Okay. Okay, so the internet is just kind of moving slow. I apologize. I'm just waiting on this to pull up. My internet is moving kind of slow here. Okay, so we go to the Bible to Genesis 1 and 28. And then you can also go to Genesis 9 and 7. I'm just waiting on it to load. Okay, so I'll I just look on my phone. So I'm going to go to Genesis 1 and 28. Okay, so it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God wants us to be fruitful and to increase in numbers. So we need to fill the earth and subdue it, not, not to be sterilized. So everything that the Bible talks about that God wants us to do, the world is going to want people to do the opposite. It's going to be in... It's going to be in direct contrast to what the Bible says. So God said to be fruitful and multiply. So as a deterrence and a, a disobedient act, then the world is going to want you to decrease in population. So this isn't, you don't need, you don't need to have any type of degree in order to understand that Bible prophecy is real. The Bible is real. Okay. You don't, all you need to do is just read it, read the Bible. And then once you read it, God will show you everything that you need to see. So God says, if you go to Genesis nine and seven, so let's go now to Genesis nine and seven. 
So it says here, let's go to Bible Hub. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. That's the NIV version. The New Living Translation says, now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. So instead of repopulating the earth, the people in earth on earth going to tell you that we need depopulation. The world needs to be depopulated because of global warming, because of climate change, because of resources being depleted, because food is going scarce. You have all these different reasons why world depopulation is necessary. So let's look at some of the reasons that they talk about world depopulation. So I'm just going to put world depopulation. World depopulation problem. Let's type that in and see what comes up. So it says, I don't look at Wikipedia. So I'm going to go to scientificamerican.com. Population decline will change the world for the better. So we see here May 4th. This is an article published May 4th. This is the first article, not Wikipedia, because I don't look at anything from Wikipedia. Um, I'm looking at the Scientific American okay article about climate change this is an opinion um it's a, a future with fewer people offers increased opportunity and a healthier environment so china's population has fallen after decades of sky high growth um china isn't the only one there are a bunch of different planets that i mean i'm sorry there are a bunch of different countries that have right and so we look here it says that According to the United Nations, they predict dozens of countries will have shrinking populations by the year 2050. This is good news. This is what they say. This is good news. Right? Considering no other large animal population has grown as much as quickly or as devastatingly for other species as ours. So they could they call them the people species. We should all be celebrating population decline. You see, how can an art, article be published like this? And then and this is okay. So, but if you listen to economists and Elon Musk, you might believe falling birth rates mean the sky is falling. That's fewer babies means fewer workers and consumers driving economic growth. Well, why wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, you know, of course, as people decline in population, so economy will also decline, right? It's maker economics. So they, they say that the human population has doubled over the last 50 years. Wildlife populations have plummeted by an average of 69%. Well, they say that because many people are not coexisting with wildlife. Like we coexist with animals on this planet. You know, how are you coexisting? Um, so then they say that 70% of Earth has already been altered, with some reports putting that 97%. Um, so that drives wildlife out, right? Destroying their ecosystem, you know, replacing their homes, basically. And so I'm not going to read any more of that article. I just wanted to point that out. That everything that God says, you have to know that 
the enemy is going to want to do the opposite. So you got to really define who is the enemy here. Um, who is they? Who is they? How do you define the they in this country? Is it the world elitists? Is it the politicians? Is it, you know, how do you define they? Who are they that we're all talking about? Now we see within the Hispanic uh, community in the 1930s in California that it was the Sonoma Institute. That was they that was trying to it's basically sterilize many of the Hispanic and um, African-American populations of people. That was due to Sonoma Institute. So that was they. So if you if you have a comment about who they is and who you, who you think is to blame for this rhetoric happening in society, please go ahead and put in the comments. All right. So I wanted to move forward and talk about some of the eugenics that surrounds the Holocaust victims. Right. So there are a lot of uh, eugenics that surround Holocaust victims. And I like to talk about those too. So let's let me go ahead and kind of go out of this some of this stuff here and pull this up. All right. Okay. So we have some statistics. Hopefully the internet will pull this up. So we have statistics eugenics, um, a personal reckoning of failure to acknowledge the origins of a field. Okay, so this is an article that was published by um, Towards Data Science. And that was where it was published. And so it was, which is TDS, Towards Data Science. And this is an article that was published by Raphael Sonnenbend, January 27th of 2021. So he talks about the Holocaust Memorial Day and the end of um, five years of him studying statistics at the University, uh, University College of London. So that has been his home for decades. And so now he talks about, let's see, his family being murdered in the Holocaust as part of the regime to eradicate um, eradicate their race to the inferior, to the, the um, dominant race. Um, so he discusses some of the statistics that he believes that should be recognized. So let's look here. Um, Sir Francis Galton, he was the founder of the field of behavior and educational statistics. He pioneered the use of questionnaires, discovered regression to the mean, sort of correlation, regression. That That's correlation and regression in psychology, anthropology, basically is just comparisons, similarities, and looking at those differences. Um, so he is the one who invented those things. So he talks about uh he's reviewing four books about life of galton um and using the argument to criticize one book so the volume is limited by brooks tendency to see every aspect of galton's life in relation to his views on eugenics brooks 
fails to place Galton's views in the context of the times in which he lived, right? So Galton's views of the indigenous, indigenous population that he encountered in Africa might well be seen as enlightened by Victorian standards. So Brooke views them with a 21st century perspective and finds evidence of Galton's intolerance. So the product of, of this time, basically, they argue that it is bigotry throughout the years. So Galton was inspired by his cousin's work, the origin, the origin of species. So Darwin could be called a product of his time, basically like a savage, right? Darwin spoke openly about racism and did not promote or contribute to any of Galton's work on eugenics. So if there was any doubt about the any racism in Galton's eugenics, the reasoning can be found here. Um, so this is what it says. We greatly want a brief word to express the science of improving stock. So stock are people, understand it, um, which takes cognizance of all influences that tend in however remote a degree to give them more suitable races or strands of blood a better chance of prevailing speedily over the less suitable than they otherwise would have had. So if there is still some doubt about Galton's views, he also wrote, there exists a sentiment for the most part quite unreasonable against the gradual extinction of an inferior race. So Jews were inferior. That means that they didn't need them in society. They wanted them sterilized, right? So this is so important because you have to understand that the person who actually is a researcher, the man that discovered behavior and educational statistics, he is the one who invented the pioneer of the use of questionnaires. Questionnaires is for survey, not not surveys. Sur uh, they could be surveys, but they're usually used for one-on-one, um, face-to-face interviews. He pioneered the use of questionnaires. So questionnaires are qualitative research. They're usually using qualitative research, but they can be using mixed methods, using uh, quantitative and both qualitative. So when you look at the how he discovered regression to the mean you think about all of these different things and yes of course questionnaires are a great way to analyze statistics and uh you know um including correlation multiple regression these are all incredible resources to implement when analyzing research because they explore all of the similarities right but why is this being used to eradicate and exterminate entire races of people? This is, yes, it can be used as a good thing, but it can also be used as a bad thing. So now moving forward here, going back down here. Um, so basically on his first day at the university, when he, was, he says that he's sitting in the Galton Lecture Theater, he had been told that Galton felt that genocide was, for the most part, quite unreasonable. So he had felt less comfortable with his name and picture around him. So his research fundamentally had relied on Galton's work. 
So he's indebted to Galton. But that does not mean that he needed to hear and say his name every day for three years while he was in school. That's basically what he's saying. So Carl Pearson was Galton's protege and amongst many notable achievements. He had developed the hypothesis testing, also developed the use of p-values. This is what I use for like um, my research. So this Pearson R correlation. Um, and these type of values here, we see that in an anti-sense, um, let's see, they, he introduced the method of moments. Um, he defined the chi-square test, which sometimes the chi-square for me is, is, is really not something that needs to be used all the time. It isn't that reliable as it is with, you know, like the, the Pearson correlation. So, um, so here it talks about Pearson wrote about the Jewish population. So let's see what he said. He says they develop into a parasitic race, taking on the average and regarding both sexes. This alien Jewish population is somewhat inferior physically and mentally to the native population. And so you consider the native population, you have to think about the Nordic race, which means the dominant race. So when, when it says native population it's talking about the dominant population. So, and when Hitler was made chancellor, Pearson made a point to say, even at the present day, there are far too general impressions drawn from limited or too often wrongly interpreted experiences and far too many inadequately demonstrated and too lightly accepted theories for any nation to proceed hastily with unlimited eugenic legislation. So what this means is that he felt that eugenic leg legislation was inadequate, inadequate, inadequately being implemented into legislation. He felt that the theory should be implemented more into legislation, which this may appear reasonable until immediately followed by his um, caveats. So this statement, however must never be taken as an excuse for indefinitely suspending all eugenic teaching and every form of communal action in matters of sex. So basically this undergraduate concluded with the presentation that um, Pearson, Pearson, which was the first chair of the Department of Eugenics at the University of London, had contributed to his life and work in a way that he cannot and will not ignore. So his contributions were essential to the field of statistics and many others. But again, he felt left wondering, um, comfortable uh, walking through the Pearson building, right? And so he provided more context about the man it was named after. Basically giving a review of all of these people. So uh, Sir Ronald Fisher's, uh, Fisher's work in statistics established and promoted many important methods of statistical inference now i really enjoy using statistical inferences um because it it helps us gain a better understanding of statistics overall specifically when we look at how data is skewed we look at the outliers that's influencing the data we look at many different variances to be able to analyze the, the p-values and different things so we analyze the inferences and statistics um the p-value gives us the credibility that we need and so that's something that's interesting so uh sir ronald fisher 
establish the p-value of 0.5 as the normal threshold for significant p-values, promoting likelihood estimation, developing an analysis of a variance, which is ANOVA, um, the IRIS data set, this seems an incredibly minor contribution, but I use it daily. Okay, said minor contribution. Um, so uh, ANOVA is really good. It's similar to the multiple regressions, um, but uh, let's see, like Pearson and Gauss and Fisher was revered when asked who the greatest biologist since Darwin was, Richard Dawkins nominated Fisher. This may not be surprising given Dawkins' own publicized views. Um, oh, my phone just went dead. Lord Jesus, what is going on here? Let's see. I don't know. Okay, so it's still on here. Oh, God, thank you. Sorry about that, you you all, but I don't think my phone, my phone isn't charging. It's, it's not working that good. Um. So, so far on the Nazi eugenics, Omar um, Freer, um, Fisher wrote, in spite of their prejudices, I have no doubt also that the party sincerely wished to benefit the German racial stock, especially by the elimination of manifest defectives oh wow this is so tripped out such as those deficient mentally and do not doubt that von uh Verschor gave as i should have done his support to such a movement so fisher wanted to give his support to the movement when, when it says um benefit the german racial stock the german racial stock would be considered jews um, especially by the nation of manifest defectives. So the defectives are the Jews, um, such as those deficient mentally. So they're talking about people that are in, um, intellectually disabled. So I did not come across Fisher's name until my third year at UCL. Once again, lauded as a great statistician. Needless to say, genocide was not discussed. Okay. So basically, so far, the fathers of statistics and eugenics, denaming buildings and lecture theaters is easy, is a step that should have been taken a long time ago. But this person is not criticizing University of London. To their credit, they spent years gathering information and putting out surveys to help to hear everyone's feedback and opinions. So with the buildings being renamed, he still da daily he thinks about the Pearson's chi squared test and issues information. Their names are stuck with me forever, and now so are their beliefs. Whilst I will respect and even be inspired by the contributions of these men to statistics, I can now talk about them without glorifying their character or inadvertently condoning their beliefs. I will utilize the of the past to promote the positive, good, and ethical choices of the future. Learning where others fail will help generations and statisticians learn how to succeed. Cool. Okay. So I would say that this is just my opinion on this. Okay. Statistics is a great way to analyze some of the possible, um, possible interventions that, that are needed in society but they can also be used 
as an advantage to support these interventions, or they could be used as a disadvantage to cause the demise of many interventions that are needed. And so we as, um, like for me, as an educator, an emerging educator, right? It is important for us as researchers to be able to provide ethical data and not use um, data in a way where it can be skewed to the point where just only stimulating our own biases. So it's important to make sure that we're always maintaining this self-reflexivity and making sure that we're doing the right thing in society. So yes, uh, the, even though the historical um, the the historical data for the founders of statistics may not been you know stem from uh, the right place, but when it comes to the actual numbers, the numbers tell the truth. So what they use those numbers for is something entirely different, right? So you can analyze numbers and you can analyze this data and you can analyze this population. But once you analyze it, what are your goals? And so we see that the founders, their goals was a part of eugenics. And that's not something that's good. But just because it was founded on that basis doesn't mean that the numbers will tell us something different. So yes, it's, it's good for us to be able to analyze things by using statistical data um because the data within itself is not going to lie to us but what the what as a as a person that can read data because when i look at read it what does the data say what does the united states census bureau say when they under count minority votes it wasn't the data that was collected. It was the people who read the data. It was the people who interpreted the data and what message they wanted to convey to its viewers and its listeners. So it's really about whether or not our researchers maintaining the data from an ethical perspective, are they maintaining ethics? And if they are not, well, we're going to continue to see a rise of research that is really, really driven by personal biases and or inspired by financial motivations or financial gains. See, that isn't what data should be used for. Data should be used in a way where it provides economic stimulation, in a way where it provides support and resources to people, where programs can be created. You know, society can be changed. So it should not be used in a way where it causes the detriment of communities and people. So it's so important for us to understand that, yes, there were type of uh, racist things happening with the statisticians that, you know, founded a lot of this um, data and how we as researchers should continue on researching. That doesn't mean that the numbers that, that we research is going to be skewed. You know, at times it would, but how are these researchers presenting in the information? Are they driven by financial motivations? Or are they really influenced 
as a way to provide intervention as necessary. So the data will tell us what we need to see. But what about the people? How are they conveying that to its viewers? How are, how are they conveying the message to its listeners? So that's that's the big question. So my question here is this. The Holocaust victims, the minority African-Americans, including the Hispanic population, have all endured trauma. But when does this trauma end? It doesn't end with eugenics. So now I like to sort of like shift focus and talk about men getting pregnant, specifically Beatty to his wife, Nancy Beatty. So let's talk about this article here. Uh, if this doesn't pull up, okay, here we go. So we have um this is an this is an article um under health and wellness today.com and it is about the um Thomas Beatty with his wife Amber Beatty, whom he had met um at the daycare of where his children had attended. So she pretended like she didn't know who who they who he was, but she eventually admitted it. And so um this article was published June 30th, 2021. It was published by Raina Murray. So basically it's an article about Thomas Bedian's wife, right? Um, and how the world talked about how he could possibly be pregnant as a man. So today, the concept of transgender men giving birth is something that is really, really be becoming more prevalent in society, right? So society has really come a long way when it comes to men being able to get pregnant. So you have this story of BD, who is 47. And um, this was like prior to Caitlyn Jenner um who was a male then transformed into a female so caitlin jenner used to be bruce jenner and so now is a woman so we see here in this article in 2008 there was an essay that was published for the advocate about his pregnancy so it talks about a piece that he had wrote and he said, because he was so desperately seeking advice from anyone who had been in his shoes. And he was fearful that his daughter would be taken away by the authorities. So B's story spread really quick around the world, um, basically with him cradling his stomach, a bare and large pregnant stomach. So he basically, he became famous because he was pregnant. Um, so he began to get a lot of requests for TV and magazines and interviews. Um, he also wrote a book about his experience, Labor of Love. Um, and he's also been subject to multiple TV specials and basically been on Star and French reality show. So everything about his life had, you know, kind of like switched and turned around. So around 2008 was when, um, when he had his first child. And so he went on to give birth to two more children with his his wife, Nancy Beatty, at the time in 2008. 
So the couple had separated in about 2012 and 2016. So Beatty had married his second wife, Amber Beatty. Um, and so basically they had a baby together in 2018 and Amber gave birth. So Beatty and his family, they live in a um, small, quiet town in Phoenix. And so they have like public speaking jobs and um his older children are now 11 12 and 13 and that they split they had split up and stuff for a while um but it talks about let's see it talks about his uh transgender let's see wait hold on okay so this is before he went and became transgender and so it was really hard when his story had came out because people were saying things about him on TV. So he was really hurt about those things. Um, they also had sort of like this cultural change and policy inclusion at the same time when his story had became public. So he, even though he was unconscionable about you know some of the things he was going through, he did document his his entire pregnancy. So the first pregnant man, um added that he had known dozens of transgender men who had given birth before he heard of uh before they had heard of uh bd's story and so now he gets acknowledgement acknowledgement through the public perception he had this sort of personal experience shifted in his life um he think that a lot of people are still um pigeonholed thinking that if you want to be transgender and you have completely rid of your rep reproductive organs but in order to be a true transgender person, you just have to go through what he went through, basically, is what he's saying. Um, but they, these things are really, really, you know, it just shows how much a person and how far they will go because of them having identity um, problems. And as I've stated before, there is a correlation between vaccinations and mental health and so this is something that is becoming widespread in society so we see bd here um bd has the baby okay but i seen another article about this right and i thought that what initially had happened is this person is actually was this person was actually a woman who had the breast removed and still got pregnant so this is what i was reading about so that is even more like uh even more of a confusing lifestyle for them right because yes bd is a biological woman and transgender to a man but now once they still have a baby and so this person, uh, BD, has removed his breast, her breast, and transitioned to a man, and, and is now pregnant. Okay. So, it just clearly shows, you know, how, how difficult and challenging it is mentally for the transgender population. Um, but before I go any further, I would like to just kind of go back up and i'm going to switch gears here and just let you all know that god wants us to repopulate that's what he said he said for us to go and repopulate the earth 
become larger than the, than the numbers in the sea. And this is what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to depopulate. And he definitely doesn't want to depopulate people because of their race. Definitely don't want to depopulate individuals because of their uh, intellectual abilities, right? And so all of those things are very concerning. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to end tonight with that. And I will see you all tomorrow. Let me just go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We come boldly before your throne of grace. And we thank you so much for your word today, Lord God. We ask that you just continue to allow your word to be present in our hearts, God. We lift up the people to you. We lift up the transgender population and the LGBTQ community, God. We just ask that you just please you help them see things through your eyes and not their own. Let them hear through your ears and not their own. This goes for every single person in the world that is within the LGBTQ umbrella or the transgender uh, community or population of people, God. We just come to you, God, and we ask that you please open their eyes to let them see things from your perspective and not their own and to hear through your ears and not their own so that they can see their lives the way that you see and hear it, God, and that they can see each other the way that you see and hear it. And they can see people just the way that you see and hear it, God. And we just ask that you remove confusion from their minds, God. We ask that you just allow them to see what they need to see so that they can fulfill your plan, will, and purpose, God, so that they can be obedient to you, God. Soften their hearts, God, and melt their hearts for you. And we just ask this for everybody in the world. We just ask that you just shaking and awaken us all god keep all of our hearts at each and every last person keep our hearts softened and melted for you god all of those that are willing all of us that can voluntarily choose to love you god just help us you know god and specifically those that are lost but are destined for your holy nation god just bring them back to your kingdom snatch them back god you paid the price so that they can have life so that we can all have life god so we just ask that you just please allow your will to be done and give us all a double portion of your love, mercy, and grace, oh God. But um, just please, Lord God, remove every barrier and also go out of our path so that we can fulfill the things that you have called us to do, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, it is sealed in your atonement blood. Amen. Well, thank you all so much for joining me. Um, please, if you wanted to send a prayer request, go ahead and send me an email at lawslifehealth at suddenchangescorporation.org. Or if you wanted to be Arthur or um, to, you needed to complete some community service or um, become an intern, send me an email at info at suddenchangescorporation.org. Thank you all so much for joining me. I will see you all tomorrow. You have a good night.